Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing here. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the last couple of months together, we have been seeking to answer the question, what does a faithful follower of Jesus look like? And we did that by answering that question with the statement that following Jesus is all about relationships. We identified three primary relationships that really summarize what it looks like to follow Jesus. We talked about a love relationship with God that we uh, summarize with that word abide. It's abiding in Christ personally and daily. We talked about our relationship that we have with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ in God's family. And we use the word connect, that we're to connect in community in large groups and small groups. And then we talked about how following Jesus is also about a relationship with people that don't know God at all. Uh, we, t- we use the word share. We're sharing in the mission locally and globally. And those three relationships really encapsulate everything that it is when we talk about following Jesus. It's a love relationship with God that spills into a fellowship relationship with each other and then overflows into relationships with people that don't know God at all so that we can live on mission to accomplish God's eternal purpose. And we've been teaching that for a number of years here at Hope, that that's what following Jesus is, abiding in Christ, connecting in community, and sharing in the mission. But last weekend, we began to ask another question, and that question is how, how do I develop these relationships as a Jesus follower? And the answer to that question is simply the word time. Every relationship in my life is developed by choosing to invest time in that relationship. Think about any relationship in your life. The way you grow it, the way you develop it, is by choosing to spend time or choosing to invest time into that relationship. The more time you invest, the deeper and more significant that relationship becomes in your life. So if following Jesus is all about relationships... How do we grow as a follower of Jesus? We grow by investing time, by choosing to spend our time in some certain ways. And as we prayed through this question, how do I develop as a Jesus follower? We really believe that there are four ways that you and I can choose to spend our time. Remember the graphic that I showed you last weekend? There were these four ways that we can choose to spend our time. God time, gather time, group time, and go time. And last weekend, we unpacked the first of these four ways that you and I can choose to invest our time to grow as a follower of Jesus. And we talked about it with the phrase, God time. I want you to read that definition off the screen with me again. Time spent daily alone in fellowship with God. If you and I 
are going to grow as followers of Jesus. If we're going to grow in our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with people that don't know God at all to live on mission, there is no, hear me carefully, there is no substitute for time daily alone with God in fellowship with Him. My prayer is that this past week, many of you, maybe for the first time, have begun to spend time with God daily. And for the rest of us, this week has been a week where you have deepened and grown that intimate fellowship with the Lord. If you enjoyed God time this past week, time alone daily with God, just say amen. Amen. Listen, there is no substitute, okay? There's no shortcut. There's no three-step program you can come to at our church and deepen your walk with God. There is no substitute. Every follower of Jesus Christ must carve out time daily to be alone with the Father. We talked about that. We called it God time. Say that with me. God time. If you got that one, say amen. Amen. I want to talk about the second of these times today. It's gather time. Let's read the definition. Time spent weekly gathering in worship with my church. Gather time. It's what we're doing right now. We have gathered like we do every week to worship God with our church family. Now, remember when we started this series weeks and weeks ago, we we talked about the Christian life is not you and me living for Jesus, but the Christian life is Jesus living in and through us. I gave you that quote, we've said it many times by Major Ian Thomas, that the Christian life is simply the life that he lived, Jesus lived then, lived now by him in you. Well, I want you to know that Jesus, when he was on the earth, living as a human being, modeled for us, not only God time, we saw that last week, how Jesus would often slip away to be alone with the Father. I don't know if you were, I'm reading in a gospel still in my personal quiet time, my God time. This week, there were several occasions where I was reading in the gospel of Matthew, where Jesus slipped away to be alone with the Father. As a matter of fact, there was one of them that said he slipped away in the evening to be alone with the Father. And I know that encourages some of you greatly (laughs) to know that he also did it in the evening. But Jesus didn't just model God time for us. He also modeled gather time. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. It says, And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he was brought up. That's Jesus' hometown. And as was his, say the next word out loud. As was his custom. That word custom in the Greek language is a word that describes a lifestyle practice or pattern. The Bible says Jesus came back to Nazareth, and just like he'd always done, as was his custom, look what it said he did. He entered the, what's the next word? Synagogue. What's a synagogue? The synagogue is a word that literally means the gathering. That's what the word literally means. 
It's the gathering of God's people to worship. Now, in the Gospels, the synagogue was the place prior to the resurrection where God's people would gather to worship God. The Bible says, let's read it, Luke 4, and he came to Nazareth where he was brought up, and as was his custom, the practice of his life, he entered the synagogue, the gathering, on the Sabbath and stood up to read. What's the point? Here's the point. It was the pattern of Jesus' life to gather with God's people on the Lord's day for worship. It's the pattern of his life. So what Jesus did when he was on the earth. What's the Christian life? The life that he lived in, lived now by him and me. Jesus slipped away to often spend time alone with the Father, but Jesus would also weekly, the custom, the practice of his life was to gather with God's people for worship. And this practice of Jesus after the resurrection became the pattern of the early church in the book of Acts. And instead of meeting on Saturdays like God's people had done for centuries, after the, because the resurrection happened on a Sunday morning, God's people in the book of Acts began to gather on Sundays for worship. You can read over and over again in the book of Acts. For example, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week when we were gathered together, the church would gather for worship. Justin Martyr was a, a theologian and historian of the early church. I want you to listen to this writing from Justin Martyr that was written about 100 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So we're in the mid-2nd uh, century, about 130, 140 I want you to listen to what he wrote. Look what he said. On the day called Sunday, there is a meeting in one place of those who live in cities or the country and the memoirs of the apostles. What is that? Well, that's what you and I now call the New Testament. The writings of the apostles or the writings of the prophets. What's that? That's what you and I call the Old Testament are read as long as time permits. When the reader has finished, the one presiding in a discourse urges and invites us to the imitation of these noble things, then we all stand up together and offer prayers. You know what that is? (laughs) That's what we call church, right? Here, a hundred years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Justin Martyr says, hey, on Sunday, all the Christians in the city would gather in one place, and when they gathered together, somebody would get up and they would publicly read the writings of the apostles, the New Testament, or the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament. They would teach, they would urge us to, to follow the pattern of what had been taught. Then we would stand and we would offer prayers, which is singing, it's praying, it's, it's responding back to God, and then we'd all go our way. Here's the reality of what I want you to hear me say today. When we gather for worship like we're doing right now, we are not simply following some American version of Christianity. As we gather, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus himself and the early church and giving priority to the public worship of God together as God's family. For centuries, now for 2,000 years, 
in cities where the gospel has come in and people have been saved. For 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering on Sunday to worship, to praise, to pray, and to sit under the Word of God. And if you and I want to grow and deepen our relationship with God, with one another, and with the world, we must choose to spend time gathering with other believers. You see what we've done, how we've kind of messed this up? We think, I have to go to church on Sunday to be a good Christian. I have to go to church on Sunday to make God happy with me. No. Here's the principle of Scripture. Because I have a relationship with God, because He's brought me into fellowship with Himself, I now am invited to spend time with other believers on Sunday gathered together so that I can deepen my love relationship with God, so that I can grow in my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and so that I can expand my relationships with people that don't know God at all to share in God's global mission. That's why we're here this morning. So what I want to do today to unpack this idea of gather time is ask and answer two very important questions. And here's the first one. Why? Why do we gather? Why are we here this morning? Why have you come? I don't want you to answer out loud. But but why are you here? Going to church has become so much a part of what we do as followers of Jesus. We some of us don't even know why. Well, it's just it's Sunday. It's just what what I, <laughs> Why are you here? You see if you don't understand why you're here, you're not going to experience what you've really come here to experience. Well, why are you here? Let me give you a couple of answers to that question, why we are here. Here's the first one. We gather because God is worthy of our worship. Here's what that means. The primary reason that we're here is not you, it's Him. You see, we tend to come here thinking it's about us. We come here thinking, well, I need this. I need my pick-me-up. I need my, my word for the week. I need my encouragement this Sunday. No, the primary reason we're here is not us. It's Him. We've gathered here today because God is worthy of our worship. Let me ask you a question. Are you glad to be saved? Are you glad to be born again into relation? Are you glad today that your sins are forgiven and that the gospel has secured your eternity? Here's what I want you to hear me say. The one who saved you is worthy of our gathering on the first day of every week to say, God, we are here to worship you. We've gathered today to worship God. Let me read it to you from the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 95. Look on the screen. Read the first three verses, then we'll skip down to verse 6. Look what it says. Oh, come, let us sing for joy. Say the next phrase out loud. To the Lord. I want you to see all the twos and fours in this verse. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Here's what that means. You're not singing to us. We're not singing to you. We're singing to Him. 
Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout joyfully, or excuse me, let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For, that little word for is the word because, because the Lord is a, say it out loud, great God and a great king above all gods. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We've come today to worship because God is worthy of our worship. The psalmist said he is great. The word great is a word that emphasizes the importance, the size, or the significance of something. If you look it up in Webster's Dictionary, it says remarkable in magnitude, degree, or effectiveness. Markedly superior in character and quality. Let me tell you something. We have gathered here today because our God is great. We do not gather because the church is great. We don't gather because the music is great. We don't gather because the preaching is great. We don't gather because the people are great. We have gathered here today because God is great. And God is worthy of our worship. Three phrases out of this psalm really describe the the kind of worship that our great God deserves. First of all, this worship that we give to Him should be joyful. Three times in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist uses this word joy or joyfully to describe our worship. God's people should be people of joy. Listen, we've got something to be joyful about. God help us when we come into church, sit down, cross our arms and say, bless me if you can. Listen, it's not about us. We have come in here today because we have a great God who has saved us, who saved us when we weren't worthy, who saved us when we didn't deserve it, who loved us when we were unlovable, who reached down and snatched us up out of the depths of our sin and restored us. And listen, because of that, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life today. You can come in here with joy because the one who saved you is in control. There ought to be a spirit of joy. Turn to the person next to you and say, there ought to be some joy in here. God help us. If we come together to worship and there is not joy in the house of the Lord. But not only is it joyful, it's active. When we gather for worship, worship is a verb. Not a noun. That means worship is not an event you attend. Worship is an activity in which you participate. (laughs) Some people come to church and think worship is a noun. Worship's not a noun, it's a verb. You hear all the action words in Psalm 95? Singing, shouting, coming, kneeling, 
going. You see, here's how we've misunderstood worship. We think when we come together for worship that this is the audience and that the people up here are the worshipers and that God is the prompter. That God is prompting these people up here to worship. And that this is the audience witnessing the event, the noun of worship. That's not true. (laughs) You are the worshipers. Teddy likes this. I don't know if you realize it this morning or not, but you are sitting on stage. These people up here are simply the ones being used of the Lord to prompt you. And the audience is seated on the throne of the universe in heaven. And he is watching as we gather together for worship. And so this morning, you are not simply uh, someone who is spectating. You are a participant on the stage that is set before our Father who is in heaven as we have gathered with brothers and sisters in Christ on every corner of the globe to worship our great God. It's an active thing. Let me, let, me, let me read you the way the psalmist wrote about it at the end of Psalm 150. He said, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and, uh-oh. Some of us just got nervous with that next word. And dancing, praise him with the stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with the, uh uh-oh. Worship's just too loud. (laughs) Praise him with the, say it out loud, loud cymbals. How dare the Lord put that in the Bible. (laughs) Praise him with the resounding cymbals. That means it's still ringing in my ears when I leave. I say, well, y'all got that right at Hope. (laughs) Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We have gathered here today because our God is worthy of our worship. Now, now don't don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we all have to worship the same way, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Listen, I'm never going to do that thing Teddy does up here, all right? I'm not going to do that. Not because I don't want to. I can't. But here's what I want you to hear me say. In worship, there should be a freedom 
for us to express ourselves actively based on who God has made us to be because worship is active. Let me tell you a third thing about it. It's inclusive. Six times in Psalm 95, the psalmist calls upon us to worship. Did you hear it? Let us sing. Let us shout. Let us come. Let us shout. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. Everyone is either an us or a them. Us worship, them don't. If you have a problem with worship, you need to ask a very serious question about your own soul. Am I in us? See, us worship. Now, it doesn't look the same for everybody. But we worship because God is great. But, but let, let's move past. Let, let me give you the second reason why we're here today. Because some people hear what I just said and say, well, if that's true, why can't I just do that at home? Just me and God. I can just worship God. Well, there's a second reason why we worship. We gather because worship is not just about us. You see, we have a responsibility for the spiritual well-being of others in God's family. And that's why we've been commanded to not just worship privately, but we are commanded to gather and worship together publicly or corporately as the body of Christ. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews teaches us that gathering with others weekly for worship is a way to give priority to this responsibility we have for the spiritual well-being of others. Let me show it to you. If you got your Bible, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to spend the rest of our time in these verses. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Look what it says. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? This word consider is a word that means to think about intently. It's it's used in a tense here that describes ongoing, continuous action that's not an option. It's It's a command that we've been given to consider. Here's what that means. You and I are to constantly be thinking about ways to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And he tells us how we do it in the next verse. Look at verse 25. How do we do that? Well, here's one way. By not forsaking our own assembling together. The word assembling is a word that means gathering. The word forsaking is a word that means to abandon, to desert. Here's what he's saying. By not gathering, we are forsaking our responsibility to others in God's family by deserting them. You hear that? When we choose not to gather, we are abandoning our responsibility to be thinking about how to stimulate others to love and good deeds, and we're doing that by deserting them. Look what he says. 
but not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some. That's always been around. It's not a new problem that people forsake the assembling, the gathering. He says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He talks here about this principle of gathering. But he talks about the principle of gathering in the context of our one another relationships. Meaning that the gathering is not just about me. Too often when we gather, we are totally consumed with ourselves. Were the songs the songs that I like? Was the message content directly for me today? Was the length of the service the length that I wanted it to be? Do I feel like going today? The writer of Hebrews says that gathering is not just about me. It's about God first and about how God wants to use me in the lives of others as we gather. And if we'll grab a hold of what I'm going to teach you this morning, you will never come to worship again and see it the same way. You'll never see it the same way again. You'll come in totally differently. He uses two one another expressions here, and I want to unpack them real quick. He says, first of all, when we gather, we're to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, the word stimulate that's used here most often in the New Testament is used in the negative. And it normally, when it's used, it means to irritate. It's the idea of being around something so much that it begins to to irritate you. You wear that shoe and it keeps rubbing that same place and it irritates your foot. But when the word is used positively like it is here, it's the idea of, of motivating or inspiring someone else. The principle is that we should be aware of what God is doing in the lives of other people around us as we gather and be looking for ways to inspire greater devotion to Jesus in their lives. When you begin to live this way, here's what happens when you drive on the campus on Sunday. God, who do you want me to meet today? God, who is going to be here today that, Lord, you've put them in my path because, God, you desire to... See, instead of, God, I need the word today. Lord, I need the worship for me today. God, I need my pick. No, it's when you get here. It's, God, give me eyes to see those that are gathered. Lord, let me look up and down my row and see the people. Lord, make me sensitive to what you're doing in their life. And God, would you show me as we've gathered together how you can use me to inspire them to a greater devotion to Jesus. You say, how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of ways. One way is just a simple greeting. I've heard people say, Well, nobody greeted me. Well, just start greeting people. What are you waiting on? If you go to greet them, I promise they're not going to run. (laughs) 
But we get such tunnel vision when we come into the gathering. I got to get to my seat. I got to get to my space. I got to get there. That we've lost sight of what... God didn't give us this as an event that we could check off the list. No, God gave us this to worship Him and to be sensitive to what He's doing in the lives of the people around us as we gather, looking for ways to inspire. You go, you go up to somebody, you know, and say, hey, man, I just want to meet you. I'm glad you're here today. You know what you may find out? You may find out this is their first Sunday. If so, let me give you something to do with them. As soon as the service ends, say, hey, I'd love to meet you back there and take you to our next step center and introduce you to somebody that can answer some questions about how we can connect with you, how we can serve you, ways that we can come alongside you or your family. And now everybody in our church just became a part of the hospitality team. We're just looking for ways to meet people and connect them or maybe... Maybe you ask God on Sundays, Lord, would you give me a word in my time with you, my God time? And Lord, would you show me today who that word's for? You know, we got a man in our church who every week, every week, he brings me a word from him that God's given him in his time with him. Every week he prays, every week he prays for God to give him a word that he can give to me. And every week I get that word from him. Listen, don't, don't hear that and start bringing me your word. Give it to somebody else. I got somebody doing that for me. Listen, if we really believe what we're talking about, God's going to speak to you in your God time. And sometimes He's going to speak to you, and it's not just for you. It's for somebody else that's going to be here on Sunday. And God's given you a word straight for them. Maybe it's by just going up to somebody and saying, Hey, God's put it on my heart. Can I pray for you? And for all you know, they've walked through an unbelievable week and it's just you praying over them that lets them know God hadn't forgotten God loves them. God cares about them. God's ready to meet that need. But you see what I... Does this, if this makes sense, say amen. amen. It's coming in here, not thinking about just what you're going to get, but you begin to think about... And you're, you're doing what the text said. The text said, consider. It means to constantly think about. I'm const- Lord, how do you want to use me today to bless somebody else? God, how do you want to use me today to encourage somebody else? And let me just say this. Just get it on record, all right? You cannot get here late and leave early and live this out. You see, when you get here late and you slip out early, you know what you're saying to everybody? It's all about me. Well, that's, we need to move past that. The second one another statement he says here is encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. The word encourage is the Greek word parakaleo. It's an important Greek word because it's the name for the Holy Spirit Jesus uses in the Gospels. The paraclete. It means to come alongside. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit 
coming alongside us in our lives, and it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit through us. When we are encouraging, it is allowing the Spirit within us to work through us, and it literally means, this phrase parakleo means to invite to come along. Here's what it means. When we gather for worship, the way that we worship should invite other people to come along in their worship of Jesus and their walk with Jesus. Let me give you an example of how this works in my life. Every Sunday I stand up here and I look out at all of you. And that's tough sometimes because there's a lot of faces out here and some faces are with you, and some faces you're not real sure, right? <laughs> so it's, there's a lot of faces up here. But let me tell you something. There are a few faces that I look for every week. And let me tell you why. When I see their face, it just invites me to come along. It invites me right into the presence of God. It invites me. Right, when I, sometimes I don't want to come to church either. And I get here, and I'll see those faces, and I see the hunger in their eyes, and I see the joy in their spirit, and it just invites me to come along to worship. Here's what the Bible says. Every one of us should so come in here full of Jesus out of the overflow of our God time that it just invites everybody else to come right along and worship God with us. When we gather we gather because God is worthy but we also gather because it's not just about us we have a spiritual responsibility for the well-being of others so that's question number one we got to answer question number two quicker than that so y'all got to listen faster (laughs) number two what do we do when we gather and obviously there are many components to what we do when we gather. But I want to try to summarize it for you with two things that are really the heartbeat of the leadership here at Hope when we gather. There are two things we're trying every weekend, two targets that we're aiming at. Here's the first one. We experience God's presence. Jim Cimbala said we can easily settle for church instead of God. We don't want to do that. We don't want to settle for church. We want to be with God. We need the presence of God. And when you start talking about God's presence, there are three realities to God's presence. There's, first of all, the omnipresence of God, meaning that God is everywhere all the time in His fullness. Amen? He's always everywhere. It's why the psalmist said, where can I go from your presence? You can't get away from God. God is always everywhere in His fullness. But then there's the indwelling presence of God. As believers, the moment we come to know Jesus, His Spirit comes to dwell, to live inside of us. So God is everywhere all the time, but God is also always indwelling us, living inside of us as believers. But there's a third expression of His presence, and it's what I want to talk about for a moment. It's the manifest presence of God. And that is God making Himself known in our midst in a way that is clearly seen, evident, and undeniable. It is God showing up in a unique way and doing what only God can do. When we say 
that we have gathered here today to experience God's presence. We're not talking about just the omnipresence of God, that He's always here, or the indwelling presence of God. We are talking about the manifest presence of God. We desire for God to show up and do something among us as we gather in such a way that when we leave here today, we're not talking about how great a song was or how great a sermon was, but we are saying, man, we met with God. God showed up, and God did what only God can do. Listen to what A.W. Tozier said. Look at this quote. The presence of God and the manifestation of the presence of God are not the same. There can be one without the other. Unfortunately, there will be churches gather all across our country today. And the omnipresence of God and the indwelling presence of God is there. But the manifest presence of God is not. We've gotten so good at church in North America that we can do church for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks whether God shows up or not. And I just want you to know that at Hope, when we gather, it's our desire. Everything that we do in praying and preparing and planning this service is to invite the manifest presence of God among us. I cannot totally explain what I'm about to say. But there is a unique way that God manifests His presence when His people gather together. I experience God's manifest presence in my God time. I do. Not every day, but I experience God's manifest presence in my God time. But there is something unique about the way God has chosen to manifest His presence when His people gather together. Listen to what Bill Eliff said. More can happen in five minutes of God's manifest presence than in 50 years of our best human efforts. If the manifest presence of God sits down on this place, let me just tell you, God can do more in your life. God can do more in my life. God can do more in your family. God can do more in my family. God can do more in our city in five minutes than 50 years of our best strategy. I don't come to church because I feel obligated to come to church in order to be a good Christian. I long to experience the manifest presence of God among His people. And let me just say this. The Holy Spirit is not a water faucet that you turn on and off when you're ready to deal with it. Here's what that means. I don't choose when God's going to manifest His presence. So here's what I need to do. Every time we gather, I need to be there thinking, hey, this just may be the day. This just may be the moment when God's going to sit down on us like he never has before. And I don't want to miss that moment. We experience God's presence. Here's the, the, the second thing we, 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 we try to do 
is we worship with God's people. Every week, the prayer that I pray, God, would you fill this place with your people? And God, would you fill this place with your presence? Well, when we worship together, what what do we do when we worship? Well, let me close quickly by giving you some priorities. Three statements that really summarize what we're trying to do when we come here together. Number one, in worship, we hear God together through His Word. That's the first reason we're here. We're, We're here in worship to hear God through His Word. Now, when I say that, I don't just mean while I'm preaching... Every fabric of our service is designed to let us hear God together through His Word. That's why when we're singing songs, if you'll notice, there'll be words of songs, but they'll also incorporate scriptures that that show you the biblical premise behind those songs. Why do we do that? Because as we gather together, it's our desire that we hear God together through His Word. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hear God through His Word. That's why Paul said to Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. When we gather, we're to give the Word of God priority because, listen, it doesn't matter what my opinion or the opinion of the pastoral team here at Hope is. Our best thinking doesn't matter. We need to hear God through His Word. We need the Word. Here's the second thing we're trying to do. In worship, we talk with God together through prayer. We experience His presence. We respond in worship. How do we do that? By hearing from Him through His Word and by talking with God through prayer. In the 29 chapters, or, or in the 26 chapters of the book of Acts, the word prayer, prayer is used 29 times. When the church would gather, they would pray together. When we hear God, we receive from God through His Word, but then we talk back to God through prayer and through praise and through worship. I want you to do something. I want you to take a deep breath and hold it. Ready? One, two, three. (gasps) Arch, you can let it out, right? Because it begins to be uncomfortable, right? Because breathing is about taking in. When the church comes together, we need to breathe. We need to take in as we hear from God through His Word. But then we need to allow our soul to breathe back out as we talk with God in prayer, as we praise God in song. That When we come together, we are a body, the body of Christ, and the body needs to breathe. We breathe by hearing God through His Word and taking in, and we respond to God. We speak back to God. We talk to God in prayer and in praise. Ian Bounds said it this way, the life, power, and glory of the church is in prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer, and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. Don't come to the gathering and watch people pray and listen to people pray and you not pray. When we gather, we're to all talk with God. That's why at Hope, listen, 
During our services, we invite you, don't just sit and listen. When God speaks, you talk to him. And if that means you need to come and be alone with God in this altar, listen, you don't have to wait for the end of a service. You can come be alone with God in this altar at any point during our service. Why? Because we're breathing. We're hearing from God. And we're talking back with God. Let me tell you the third thing we're trying to do. In worship, we respond to God together as He moves in our lives. So every service has these three components. We're, we're trying to hear God through His Word. We're trying to talk with God through prayer. And we're trying to respond to God as He moves in our lives. Jim Cimbala said this, If we want to see God move in extraordinary ways, we have to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Here's what this means. Every time we gather for worship, every time we gather for worship, we should gather with an expectancy to hear God, to talk with God, And to respond to God. You know what that does? That puts Him in charge of our gather time. We're here to hear from Him. To talk with Him. And respond to Him. gather time. If you and I are going to grow in our relationship with God, with each other, with the world, we got to choose to invest some time weekly gathering with God's people to worship.